I want to invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to pick up in verse 12. Pastor Dale took us through verse 11 last week. So we will begin in verse 12 of 1 John chapter 2. Hear now the word of God. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we pray that you would help us to grasp this text, that we would understand the basis again this morning of our assurance. And God, that we would be not just individuals, not just homes and families, but that we would be a church. God, remind us that this letter is written to a church and that we would be a church who reflects a desire and a heart and a passion for you and the progress of your gospel, not only here but around the world. God, we ask that you would assure those who are assuredly in the faith, and God, that you would draw those to yourself who do not yet know you. For the glory of Christ we ask it. Amen. So as, as I've been thinking about this series we're calling Assured, this journey that we're on through the first letter of John, the first epistle of John, I've been wondering and asking myself, why is it that we sometimes struggle so mightily with the concept of assurance? The whole book, the whole letter is written so that we can be assured, that we can know, that we know, that we have Christ, that we're in the faith. And yet the reality is, there are seasons of life where we wrestle with, do I really know Jesus? Am I really in the faith? And I, I suppose there are a number of reasons for that. I think one of them is because we live in a fallen world. And the reality is most of the assurances that we have this side of heaven aren't very good assurances. Benjamin Franklin, in 1789, wrote this in a letter. In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. If you don't believe me, just skip out on April 15th and wait till the IRS gives you a call. Uh, others have observed that the only real assurance that we have in this world is that we don't have any assurances. The only thing that's certain is change itself. A famous philosopher back in 500 B.C., Heraclitus of Ephesus, that was his whole philosophy of life. Is this, there's everything there's going to be changing. Constant change, change, change. And he summarized that with a famous statement. No one ever steps in the same river twice. Makes sense, right? There's new particles, new dirt, new elements. You step out of the river and step back in. It's a, fundamentally, it's a different river. And some of you are living that reality this morning. Your basis of your Christian walk 
You're not grounding it in the gospel. You're not grounding it in the accomplished work of Christ on your behalf. But you're living your life in your past. You're living your life too far out in the future of what you think you may do or become or be. And you're, you're just being buffeted about like a ship by your circumstances. You're like a ping pong ball. And your circumstances are whacking you back and forth, back and forth. And John is writing us this letter to say, you can know that you know Jesus. And though we may never step in the same river twice on this side of heaven, John writes to let us know that we can step into the unchanging river, the all-cleansing river of Christ's shed blood for us. We are assured of salvation because God has saved us and he's given us new passions for him and his kingdom. So John continues his theme of assurance and gives us these two principles this morning. God gives his children assurance when first we understand that he has provided for us what he has provided for us in Christ. And second, when we are passionate for God and the advance of his kingdom. So first, to, ensure, to enjoy God's assurance, we must understand what God has provided for us in Christ. In these first few verses, 12, 13, and 14, here's what John is saying to the church. Look what you have in Jesus. Believe what you have in Jesus. Understand it. Receive it. Appropriate it. Leverage it. Look what God has given to you in Christ. And stake your life on that. Daniel Aiken, in his commentary, calls this section, Know Your Spiritual Status. Colin Cruz calls it Affirmation for Believers and says that it stresses the blessings that we have received as children of God. Now, last week, Daryl gave you a Greek lesson on the various uses of the genitive case, which means this week, I'm going to give you a Greek lesson as well. Six times in these three verses, John uses the perfect tense of a verb. Now here's, here's why the perfect tense is important. It's because it represents an already completed action that has enduring results. Does that make sense? It's, it's an action that's complete, but its, it's um, implications never cease. And so the perfect tense is very important for a believer because, well, the scriptures say things like, you have been saved. And, and if you have been saved in the perfect tense, that means you can't be unsaved. Which it's very affirming to us to know that once we're saved, we're, we are saved, we are now being saved, and we will be saved because it's perfect, it's completed in Christ. It's like marriage, or at least like marriage should be. When you, when you walk down the aisle and you say, I do, and you kiss the bride, it, you have a marriage ceremony and you get married, but you're not supposed to be unmarried the next day, right? You're supposed to keep on being married. So six times in three verses, John uses this perfect tense to say, it's already been accomplished in Jesus. This is true of you if you've given your life over to Christ. And so you need to understand and receive and believe what Christ has already done in your life if you've given your life to him. What are those things? Verse 13, little children, your sins have been and are now forgiven. Fathers, you have known and are now knowing Christ, who's from the beginning. Young men, you have overcome the evil one. Children, you have known and are now knowing the Father. Fathers, you have known and are now knowing Christ, who is from the beginning. Young men, verse 14, you have overcome the evil one. If you've trusted Christ this morning... 
it's already settled. You can look to the cross, no matter what circumstances you're facing, no matter what challenges or difficulties or hurdles or obstacles you face, you can point to the cross and you can say with Christ, your Savior, it is finished. So the question John raises for us this morning is this, in whom am I trusting? When I fail, when I falter, in whom am I trusting? And notice that he gives us these blessings of salvation, these assurances of salvation in three categories. Little children, fathers, and young men. And the question arises, well, which am I? Am I a young man? Am I a father? Am I, am I a young man? Uh, am I a child? And, and here's, here's what John is doing. He uses little children to address the entire church. He does this throughout his epistle in verse 1 of chapter 2. He addresses them as little children. At the end of chapter 5, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. In verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, see how great a love the Father's bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. So here's the reality. All of these blessings apply to the entire church. And when he says little children, he's addressing everyone. But when he speaks of fathers and of young men, He's speaking about different ages in the church. And the reality is, at different ages and stages of life, we need to be aware, or perhaps more aware, of various aspects of our salvation. First, fathers. Those who are advanced in years. You've been through the corporate rat race. You've put your kids through college, and maybe even your grandkids through college. You're done with the world's popularity contest, but time is starting to take its toll. And your body is slowly failing. Here's what John says for you. You have known Christ who is from the beginning. Here's hope for the aging Christian. The Christ you knew at the beginning, at the beginning of your faith. For some of you at the beginning of the founding of this church. And the Christ who is the one who is in the beginning, through whom all things are made. You know that Jesus. And if you know that Jesus, no matter what change comes, you are assured of salvation. Here's the promise of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In, a, in changing times, fathers, as you grow old, as the grave becomes closer than the day of your birth, here's what John wants you to know. No matter the change in circumstances, no matter that now we do worship on PowerPoint, no matter the change in your song selection, no matter now they have iPods and cars, no matter what happens in the world, in changing times, if you have trusted Christ, you belong to the unchanging Christ. And you carry Him confidently, valiantly, all the way to the grave, knowing that you will receive the just reward of your salvation, beholding Christ face to face. You have known him who is from the beginning. But then John addresses young men. Students notice this morning that he, never, he nowhere addresses teenagers. There's no, there's no address for teenagers in here. You know why that is? Because you don't have to wait to grow up. You don't have to wait to be a man or a woman who chases hard after Christ. You don't have to go to college and sow your wild oats and say, well, I'm just going to experiment with the world for a while and then I'll come back to Christ one day. You don't 
have to do that. That's a lie from the pit of hell, and you can walk confidently and valiantly with Christ from the day you trust Him forward. You are a young man that's being addressed in this text. And here's what Jesus says about young men in the faith. Whether you're 13, 33, or 53, you have overcome the evil one. The word for overcome is the Greek word nikao, which you hear the word Nike in there. The word means victory, domination, complete, utter defeat of the enemy. Who's the evil one? It is Satan himself, the personification of evil and all that is opposed to God. And in verse 14, John tells these young men, you are now being strong because the word is now abiding in you. Strength refers to the strength of soul to sustain and overcome the attacks of Satan. Where does this strength come from? It comes from Christ himself. And we get the blessings of Christ through placing our faith and our trust totally in him. Not in what we can accomplish. Not in what we've done. Not by looking inside and trying to find something good in there. But by giving ourselves totally over to Christ. And the reality is the world wants you to not give yourself over to Christ. From From the time your kids are one and they start watching Dora the Explorer and Strawberry Shortcake, the world has a message that's anti-gospel. Did you know that? Now, are you saying you don't let your daughter watch Strawberry Shortcake? Yes, I did. However, what's the moral to the story of Strawberry Shortcake? It's always do better, try harder, look within, and you're going to be okay. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you're never going to be okay in your own power. You're never going to be strong in your own power. But if you trust Christ and give yourself totally over to him, he will be your strength to withstand anything the devil will throw at you. You're strong in the Lord and the word of God abides. It remains. It lives in you. Danny Aiken said it this way. It's through constant contact with the word of God that the believer has communion with the Father and gains direction and energy for the battle. You want to live in Christ? Have faith in Christ and stay at home in His Word so that His Word will be at home in you. Why do we get together every Sunday and consider the Gospel together? Why do we do this? So that the Word would remain firmly rooted in our hearts and that we would be strengthened for the battle and that we would withstand the attacks of Satan and we would walk in assurance of victory that we belong to Christ. Now, some of you noticed when we read verses 12, 13, and 14 that John essentially repeats himself. He says, children, fathers, young men. And then he says, children, fathers, young men. And you're going, all right, John, I got the point. Why'd you do that twice? You want to know why? (laughs) He wanted to make sure you got the point. The first three times, he says, I am writing to you. I am writing to you. I am writing to you. The next three times, he says, I have written to you or I wrote to you. Now, if you're reading in an NIV, it misses that tense change, but that tense change is important. He's slowing down his pace for a moment. He's saying, I just wrote to you about all these great blessings you have in Christ, and I'm going to stop it just a second and say to you, do you see what I just said? How many of you have been parents before? Can you identify with what John is doing? You know, you tell your kid, stop throwing M&Ms all over the floor. 
what did I just say to you? I just said, stop throwing M&Ms on the floor. And John's like, if you read this too quickly, if I don't slow this down, you're going to miss how critically it import, important it is to know and to believe and to trust and to affirm and to appropriate what you have in Christ. Your sins have been forgiven, which has freed you to know the Father. The relational distance that was created by your sin is overcome in Christ, and you have a bedrock assurance that you belong to Christ if you indeed have given yourself to Him. One last little thing about verses 12, 13, and 14. For whose sake are we forgiven? Did you see that at the end of verse 12? I write to you, little children, that your sins have been forgiven you for your sake. For his name's sake. We've been forgiven so Christ will get the glory. Here's what the Lord showed me in my time of study this week. By forgiving us for the sake of Jesus' name, God delivers us over to an entirely new way of living and seeing the world. Those who truly have their sins forgiven do not see forgiveness as permission to sin, but instead as power to live differently in a world that is opposed to Christ. Jesus tells the disciples that, the, that they will be hated for the sake of his name. It's to live like Christ in a world that's hostile to Christ and his cross. God has forgiven us not to make much of us, but that we might make much of him. And if the result of our, of our forgiveness is that we have a careless attitude towards sin, we've probably missed out on actual forgiveness. His forgiveness is for the sake of Christ's name, not ours. And look at the transition that, makes, that John makes between verse 14 and verse 15. It's oh so relevant that our forgiveness is for his namesake. Because what does he then say in verse 15? He commands us, don't be loving the world. And do you know the command is addressed to the entire church, not just to individuals? So this is a command for us, North Roanoke. Don't look at the world and be impressed by it. Don't look at all the success and prestige of the world and say, that's what we need to be as a church. No, don't be in love with the world. Why would John go from what we have in Christ to our love for the world? Here's why. If we really belong to Christ, we're going to be passionate for the things that God is passionate about. If we really belong to Christ, it will be evidenced in the way in which we, North Roanoke, relate to the world. There's no other way around it. So to enjoy God's assurance, we must be passionate for God and His kingdom. In verse 15, John gives us two loves, right? We either love the world or we love the Father. And the question is, when you wake up in the morning, what are you passionate about? What are you living for? How do you assess, do I love the world or do I love the Father? Well, what, what drives you? What do you care about? What motivates you? What are you living for? That's the question that John poses in 15, 16, and 17. For what am I living? In verses 12, 13, and 14, it's in whom am I trusting? And then in 15, 16, and 17, for what am I living? What is the world here? Because we know from John 3, 3, 16 that God so loved the world, but here we're not supposed to love the world. 
Well, the world is being used in two different ways. Here, it means the world system. It means everything that's opposed to God. It means the pursuit of self-gratification and pleasure and riches and advantages that detract us and move us away from a white-hot fidelity to God. So when John says, don't love the world, here's what he's saying. Don't get caught up in measuring yourself, North Roanoke, in the same way that the world measures itself. How does the world measure itself? More, bigger, faster, higher, trendier, me, my, mine. Here's the reality, North Roanoke. The world is still one through the church, just like her Savior, taking the low place for a lost and hurting and desperate world. Now, does this mean that we can't ever use the things of the world? We can't love the things of the world, but are there some things in the world that we can use? And the answer is absolutely yes. It's the difference between leveraging something and loving something. The church uses PowerPoint projectors. We use Facebook. Did you know we have a Facebook page? We do. And we put information on there about the sermon series, how to invite your friends to church, and occasionally some useful articles. So if you have one of these this morning, I know it's, it's, uh, it's a faux pas to get it out in the middle of a service, I understand. But go ahead. You can get it out if you want to. You can even go to Facebook right now and like our page if you'd like, because we're going to leverage the things of of the world for the sake of the name of Christ in the world. We're going to use every means possible without falling in love with the means that we are given. Does that make sense? So how do you know if you're leveraging something or loving something? Am I loving the world as I'm leveraging it? Here's the answer to that question. Are you trying to build the Tower of Babel Make a name for yourself? Or are you trying to expand and extend the kingdom of God? And we are going to leverage the resources of the world without ever loving the world's system. And we're going to make his name great. Because we've been forgiven, North Roanoke, for the sake of his great name. Leveraging and loving. So in verse 15, we're given two loves, the love of the Father and the love of the world. In verse 16, we're given two lives, right? Either pleasing our sinful selves or pleasing the Father. We please our sinful selves through the lust of the flesh, which means I'll do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. The lust of the eyes, which means I'll get what I want to get, whatever I see. If I covet it, I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to get it. And then finally, the boastful pride of life which really means they're a life which consists in our possessions. In other words, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to be who I want to be, no matter who I have to hurt, no matter who I have to harm, on the way to getting there. And John says that kind of thinking is totally contrary. That kind of living is totally contrary to a life which is living to love the Father and to please the Father as his kingdom advances through his church. You know, boasting in, in our advantages. Here's the bottom line, North Roanoke. I've been here three months, four months. You know what I've discovered about North Roanoke? We got some pretty amazing people. We got some people who have a lot that they could boast in. You've done a lot of things. You've got a lot of degrees. You've seen a lot of things. You've been a lot of places. You've climbed the corporate ladder. There's, there's many of you who are incredible. Let's just face it. It's okay. You're incredible. 
And there are some of you who have some incredible things. But here's what John is saying. Never boast or trust in your incredibleness. Because the reality is, it's been given to you. And some of you this morning, as you evaluate your lives, you say, I I am in Christ. But as I evaluate my passions, my passions are as much for, for winning the corporate race and having the beautiful, amazing house and having the next model of the car and whatever else it is. It's for that more than it is for the advance of the gospel and his kingdom. And as you evaluate your life and you say, what am I living for this morning? You're saying, what am I living for? And some of you need to come this morning, whether it's in your seat or at this altar, and you need to give your incredibleness back to God. And you say, God, you, everything you've given me, it's not for my glory, but for yours. And you need to leave it right here and say, God, use it. If you need to take it all from me so that your kingdom would advance, so be it. In verse 17, after showing us two loves and two lives, John shows us two timelines. Temporary versus forever. Temporary versus forever. Colin Cruz says it like this. There is no future in worldliness. Look what he says. The world is passing away. If you don't believe the world is passing away, go look this afternoon at Revelation chapter 19. You know what happens in Revelation 19? Babylon falls. What is Babylon? It's representative of the world system. It's representative of everything we idolize. Possessions and pleasure and power. And all of that comes crashing down when Christ returns. How how quickly? Everything that seems so reliable. Everything that everyone was staking their lives on. Revelation 19 says it comes down in one hour. And as the kings and the merchants and the citizens stand afar off awaiting judgment, they cannot do anything but stare in astonishment at everything they had placed their faith and hope and trust in was destroyed in an hour. The world is passing away. But you know, the question that's been haunting me this week as I've studied this passage, North Roanoke, is this. If the world is passing away, And those who do the will of God are the ones who live forever. Why is it that so many who are called Christians wake up every morning thinking not about the advance of the kingdom, but about the balance in their retirement account? Or the number of days until they can kiss their job goodbye and spend the rest of their lives in leisure? John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Retirement, says it this way. Turn in your time card. Trade in your IRAs. Let travel plans and golf leisure lead the way. And to this way of thinking, John Piper responds, Lord, spare me this curse. Because finishing life to the glory of Christ means finishing life in a way that makes Christ look glorious, not me. It means living and dying in a way that knows Christ to be the all-satisfying treasure that he is. North Roanoke, John Piper understands what John has written. He understands we must not love the world. That we must not spend our lives and our livelihood for that which is temporary, but for the progress and the advance of the kingdom of God. You see, assurance is not found in a long-term care plan. It's not found in a cure for cancer or heart disease. 
It's not found in a vehicle safety rating. It's not found in your next house. It's not found in anything that you can see or touch. Assurance belongs to those who pursue what lasts. Assurance belongs to those who are doing the will of God, who are carrying out His mission in the world. So here's the reality. If you're here to turn church into your next favorite club where we cater to all your preferences and do everything just perfectly according to what your uh, definition of perfect is, we're never going to meet or be what it is you want us to be. But if you're here to pursue the will of God in the world, if you're here to be those who are sent just like he sent out his son, who go and delight to run to the heartache and the hopelessness and the despair of this world and to lay down your life for those who don't yet know the king who laid down his life for you, this is where you belong. Because that's the kind of church we are and that's the kind of church we're going to continue to be at North Roanoke Baptist Church. Here's the point John's making. It is impossible to love the Father while ignoring the reason that Jesus was sent. He was sent for those who are hurting. So my last question to you this morning, North Roanoke, I, as I was praying on this text and pondering this text, I, I, I had this vision playing out in my head. One day, Daniel Palmer is going to cross to the other side. One day, whether it's tomorrow and I'm hit by a Greyhound bus, or whether it's 50 years from now or somewhere in between, one day I won't be here anymore. And here's the question, the self-diagnostic question I ask myself and now I ask it to you. When you die, is what you are passionate for right now going to find its completion in the face of Christ? Or is it going to face eternal judgment? What we love now, I pray, is what you will have the opportunity to love forever. If we love Christ and His kingdom, you can rest assured that you belong to Christ. If your love and your passion and your pursuits aren't aligned with the progress and the advance of the gospel, here's what John is saying to you. It doesn't have to be that way anymore. In just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation, which means simply this. Jesus has invited you to belong to him. Jesus has invited you to participate in his mission, not in the foolishness of the world that's passing away. And if you want to say to this church and to the world, I belong to Christ and I want him to give me a new love and a new passion for his mission in the, in the world and I want to see people saved and transformed for the glory of Christ and the sake of his name. We want people like that to come and to say to the whole world, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. So when we sing in just a, morning, in just a moment, we invite you to come. Let's pray. God, you've showed us this morning in your text that it's not of any work that I have done. It's not of any accomplishment that I have that I find assurance. But God, we find assurance because of what Christ has done on the cross. That we have been forgiven for the sake of your name if we belong to you, if we've trusted you.
And God, not only have we been forgiven, we've been released to new passions and godly perspectives as we examine and evaluate the world and live in it for the sake of Christ and His great name. So, Spirit of God, I'm, I'm asking you right now to move in hearts, to call out the brokenhearted, <laughs> to draw to yourself those who do not yet know you, to draw them even now, to give them the courage and strength that comes not from them but from you, to step out into an aisle and to grab Pastor Daryl's hand or my hand or any other staff member's hand and say, I need Jesus. I want to be on mission with him and I want to belong to him and I want to know that I know that I know. And God, there are others here who, Lord, if, we, if we're honest, when we think about seeing you face to face, we're not so sure that our passions will find their completion. We confess to you, God, we've, we've had divided hearts. We've been loving the world and loving sometimes the mission. God, we want to be on mission totally with you. There are some who just want to come and say, Jesus, put me on mission with you. So Spirit of God, move in this place. Direct as only you can direct. And draw as only you can draw for the sake of Jesus. And in his name we ask it. Amen.